Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. The title of an Apple News article recently caught my attention. It read, These 22 parents nailed what quarantine with kids is like. Though I'm never quite sure if these articles are actually true or if they are merely the work of advertisers, but let's just go with it today. These were, or allegedly were, tweets put out by parents. A mom named Jessie wrote this, We've been in quarantine for 18 days, and my 9-year-old has been talking nonstop for 20 of them. From James, a father of a four-year-old. Dad, yeah. I bet you taste like macaroni. And the dad comments, so we're to that part of the quarantine. A mom named Carrie. My son just asked me if when I was little, I had to stay inside for COVID's 1 through 18. And this from someone whose handle is Pugnato McSnackmouth. So far during quarantine home, so far during quarantine homeschool, all I've taught my kids is about 37 new swear words. We're all immersed in our own version of a crazy new normal prompted by this worldwide pandemic. We are isolated, hunkering down alone or maybe with family, working from home, schooling from home, occasionally venturing out for a miracle called toilet paper and wondering what the future holds, how this is going to eventually resolve. And if life wasn't strange enough, today is Resurrection Sunday, a day of celebration and praise to Jesus our King for conquering the grave and overcoming the powers of sin and evil and death. Today is an outbreak of joy over the glorious news that Jesus is alive. Today is the kickoff of a 50-day season called Eastertide, a season of celebration. And today is the end of a 40-day season of repentance called Lent. But let's be real for just a second. This Resurrection Sunday feels a bit different. The joy and celebration a bit more subdued. In some ways, today sort of feels like another day in the darkness of Lent because of the circumstances in our world. I love our scripture reading from John 20. It's perfect for an Easter Sunday in the middle of a pandemic. John's account of the resurrection is right to the point. It lacks the escalating excitement of the other gospel accounts of the resurrection. And notice this, Mary Magdalene is the only one John records going to the tomb on that first Easter, while the other gospels record a small group of people going to the tomb. So John's resurrection account has social distancing built right into it. It's perfect for us on this day. Think about this. Peter and John, we are told in John 20, sprint to the tomb. But the Bible says John was ahead of Peter as they ran, maybe six feet ahead. When they got to the tomb, Peter walked right into the tomb, but John stayed on the outside until Peter was finished. Uh, I'm going to stop and push this forever. 
Maybe most relevant for us today, the resurrection story unfolds early on a Sunday morning. In John's words, while it was still dark. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and discovered that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened and was first discovered while it was still dark, to use John's phrase. Now, most Easter's, this might be a minor detail. But today, in the middle of a world pandemic, the fact that it was still dark when the resurrection happened and when it was discovered seems meaningful to me. Mary Magdalene went to Jesus' tomb while it was still dark on the first Easter Sunday, and she found it empty, and then she ran and told Peter and John. The stone was no longer covering the tomb. There was no body inside the tomb, and this has to be explained. It has to be explained on the day it occurred. It has to be explained every day since it occurred, and it has to be explained somehow right up to the present day. I mean, we have to somehow account for Mary's testimony that the tomb was empty. Now, maybe she was lying. Maybe she and the disciples were orchestrating an epic scam. Maybe John was trying to write an award-winning novel and none of these people he mentions ever existed and none of these events, including the resurrection, ever happened. Maybe the body was stolen by the Romans and dumped into the Mediterranean Sea. Or maybe, as we search for an explanation, maybe Jesus was who he claimed to be. So his tomb was empty because his power was greater than the power of death. Maybe one explanation is the king has indeed returned from the grave. But let's set aside whatever explanation we prefer for the resurrection. And I want to kind of come at this from a different angle. The resurrection of Jesus supposedly happened 2,000 years ago, and here we are, joining with billions of others down through the centuries, and millions who are gathered in various online forums today, people who are still captivated by this story 2,000 years later. Why? Why do we remain captivated? Well, it seems to me the resurrection of Jesus Christ stirs and grips us in the deep places of our being. The resurrection, in other words, awakens longing within us. John and Peter have a foot race to the tomb. John appears to be in better shape, so he gets there first. And it says he looks inside, but he does not go inside. And I wonder what that's all about. I wonder why he looked, but he didn't enter. Maybe it is the understandable fear of realizing there may actually be more going on in this world than eyes can see and ears can hear. Maybe John's hesitation at the entrance to the tomb is because he's beginning to understand or at least to sense the magnitude of the story he is in. If the tomb is actually empty, either there's some rational explanation or John is standing on the threshold of another world. 
And maybe that's why he pauses, unsure if he wants to take the next step. In Celtic Christianity, these thresholds are called thin places of this world. Those rare locales where the distance between heaven and earth collapse in one author's description of a thin place. You've been in those places and you've had those experiences. Those places and experiences where the veil is thin between the spiritual world and the material world. Those places and experiences where we can almost see and hear or sense or feel the sacred other nearby. Nature is loaded with thin places, which is one reason we like being there. Children are thin places, which is why we like to be with them. Being with those who are hurting, with the poor, with the homeless, with the marginalized, can often be a thin place. I drove over the Rainbow Bridge not too long ago, and I was turning right on Folsom Auburn Road, and a man who might have been homeless was standing on the corner, and he was holding up a sign. And the sign read, at least give me the finger. Made me pause for a bit. It was a thin place. I sensed, in this strange way, God was near. My soul, in ways I can't explain, was stirred and moved. We love thin places because we long for more than what we can see and hear and touch. We look for this more in books. We listen for it in music. We watch for it in movies. We hope for it, often mistakenly, in one another. When we encounter this sacred other, we know we have a soul, even though we may argue at other times there's no such thing as a soul. When we read a well-written paragraph and tears begin to roll down our face, we know there is something more, even though we might argue tomorrow or the next day that there is nothing more. When we hold a newborn child, our newborn child, or our grandchild, we know we are standing in a thin place, even though we might like to convince ourselves that there is no veil between the spiritual and the physical. There is no sacred other. There is no God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set eternity in the human heart. It's one of those verses in the Bible that we can just breeze right past, but it's worth pausing over. Could it be that our longing for the sacred other is the ache for the eternal that God installed right into the core of our being? C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. This worldwide pandemic, as you well know, has put the brakes on everyday life. It's come to a screeching halt. And maybe the slowing down of life has opened up space for our deeper longings to surface. And I realize that those of you who can really identify with the parental tweets that I talked about 
at the very beginning might be thinking my life hasn't slowed down. It's become more cluttered and crowded and jammed. And I actually have less time to think and even to breathe. And I I understand that. But maybe life has been a bit less hurried in another sense. Maybe for some of us, everyday life is a bit less frantic. And maybe a space has been opened up in these days of the virus to hear and to feel and to sense the eternal ache God installed within each one of us. Well, the empty tomb is the quintessential thin place. At the empty tomb, Mary and Peter and John and we are on the brink of something that is quite literally beyond comprehension. The story pulsates with God. It is saturated with God's power. It is bursting with the more that is beyond what any eye or ear or hand or brain can fully grasp. And because of this, the resurrection, secondly, invites exploration. One of the things I like about the resurrection accounts in each of the Gospels is the unbelief of Jesus' disciples when they first encountered the empty grave. When they first discovered the tomb was empty, they did not believe, and I really like that. They are human, like we are human. So Mary saw the empty tomb, and she ran and told Peter and John that someone, quote, stole the body. Peter and John raced to the tomb to see for themselves. They saw it was indeed empty. But nothing suggests they instantaneously understood what had actually happened. These people are human. They're real. So when a dead guy's grave is found empty, of course they start speculating on what happened. And resurrection is not near the top of the list. The unbelief of the first disciples yanks this event out of the sanitized religious world and sticks it right smack in the middle of the real world. The power of God colliding with the real world. So we hear this incredible story, and like the disciples, we may struggle to believe. We probably grapple with some measure of doubt. We so desperately want it to be true but we don't know how it could be true. And we certainly don't want to be gullible. Well, John and Peter leave us an enduring image of how to respond to the resurrection and to this stunning person named Jesus Christ. Here's how. Here's the image they leave us. Run as fast as we can to see for ourselves. Look inside the empty tomb. Walk into it, explore it, check it out, and realize the whole thing is too big and too grand to all make perfect sense and sit nicely on a little shelf in our lives. The last verse of our resurrection reading says this, Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And one gets the impression with how this just abruptly ends that these disciples were wondering, what is happening? They were imagining, what could this be? They were considering this in the deep places within them. And undoubtedly, they were freaking out just a bit. Because this was bigger than they could fathom. 
No matter how much we think we know about the Christian story, no matter how many times we have heard the resurrection story, no matter how often we have blown off the resurrection story, no matter how many verses in the Bible are burned into our memory, no matter how many sermons we have given or we have heard in our lifetime, the only fitting way to respond to the greatest event in the history of the world is to keep exploring its never-ending implications for our lives right now and for all eternity. See, a Christian is not someone who has all the answers or who has figured all of this out. A Christian is not someone who has life and God and the Bible and Jesus stuffed into a neat and tiny box where everything fits and the four flaps of the top still fold and easily close. Not even close. A Christian is someone, rather, who is learning to trust Jesus Christ with everything they've got, one hesitant step at a time. So a Christian is like John from our story. They've heard some incredible news, and they've run to check it out. Then they've come to the doorway of the empty tomb, and the possibility of it all, the magnificence of it all, stops them at the door. So they look in, and they see the strips of linen in the cloth. And a little while later, maybe many years later, they inch their way into the tomb for a closer look. And a lifelong adventure with Jesus is underway. See, the journey of faith is a lifelong process of exploration and new frontiers of growth. Who is this guy, Jesus? What is his deal? What did he come to this earth to do? What does his resurrection actually mean? These things don't all of a sudden snap together like a brand new Lego set. So a Christian is like Peter, who loved Jesus and failed Jesus. But on the first Easter, he sprinted to the tomb and he barged into the tomb right away, as was fitting for Peter. He barged right into it, but as we know, it took Peter a long time to sort of get it. And he never really got it completely. And neither do we. That's how it is. We're dealing with mysteries beyond comprehension. Mysteries and wonders beyond the power of human words to corral or domesticate or describe. The resurrection of Jesus and faith in him is a lifelong adventure of learning to trust him in everything. It's a dynamic journey, an ongoing process. Every question will not get answered. Every conundrum will not get resolved. We understand bits and pieces, but large chunks still confuse. We don't know everything, and we don't need to know everything. We step forward with fear and trembling and excitement and joy. C.S. Lewis wrote these incredible words a long time ago. Where men are forbidden to honor a king, they honor millionaires, athletes, or film stars instead, even famous prostitutes or gangsters. For spiritual nature, like bodily nature, will be served. Deny it food, 
and it will gobble poison. Sounds a lot like our world. Sounds a lot like me. Spiritual nature, like bodily nature, will be served. Deny it food, and it will gobble poison. We're searching for something. We know we need something. We long for something. We may call it something else, but there's an eternity that is aching within us. I've been trying to, Lewis's phrase, honor a king for the past 37 years. But I still at times gobble poison. Well, the resurrection of Jesus invites us to keep looking into him, to keep considering his ways, to keep exploring him because Jesus is that big. He cannot be domesticated. He cannot be stuck on a shelf and admired now and then. And the implications of his life and his teaching and his death and resurrection are that wide. They go on forever. And finally, as we contemplate this glorious day, we must never forget, no matter our circumstances, that the resurrection rekindles hope. I was here at the church yesterday for a while, and several times I walked through the room where we normally gather and where we would be right now if today was like every other Easter Sunday. I walked into the room several times. The chairs were empty. The rows had been pushed around and were disheveled. The podium we speak from was sitting up on the stage by itself. There was an eerie silence in the room. That room was built in 1999 so people could gather together to worship Jesus and explore him. And yet here on the greatest day in the history of the world, that room and many rooms like it all over the world sits empty and quiet because of a virus. But as I want us to know something on this Resurrection Sunday. The virus and the fears and the masks and the uncertainties and the unknowns and even the unfortunate deaths do not and cannot snuff out the hope we have because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. While it was still dark, when that stone moved and Jesus left his tomb, the world changed forever. At the resurrection, Jesus took on death and he took on evil and he took on sin and Jesus Christ defeated all three of them and the curse hovering over this world, the curse that has given birth to this thing called COVID-19 and the curse that hovers over our hearts was broken when he walked out of that grave. The world changed and the future changed for everyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. His resurrection demonstrates that he is in fact the king over everything. He is supreme. So we can trust him with everything. We can trust him with our sin. We can trust him with our shame. We can trust him with our failings. We can trust him with our guilt. We can trust him with our death. We can trust him 
with our future and we can trust him with everything in our lives right now. So through the resurrection, hope is rekindled and hope finally makes sense because of the resurrection, no matter the circumstances we are facing. Hope makes sense even if this virus wipes out every last one of us. Why? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, so not even death can thwart his purposes. First Peter 1 and verse 3 says it this way, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope is a difference-making hope in the uncertainties of this life. Living hope says, no matter what, Jesus is king and he proved it in the resurrection. So I choose to trust him. And because I trust him to be the king of everything, all is actually well right now and forever, no matter what. You see, nothing can snuff out the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he proved he was supreme over everything. Nothing can snuff out the hope we have in him. No virus, no sickness, no growing level of fear, no loss of job, no loss of income, no plummeting retirement savings. And so on this day, scattered as we are, we declare with one voice that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is risen indeed. And because he is risen, our greatest enemy has been defeated and our greatest uncertainty has been resolved. And now we face every enemy and every uncertainty with rekindled hope. Now, Corona is still here. Cancer still happens. Marriages still end. But the good news rising above it all is that Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. And a new world has begun. Granted, you know this. I don't need to tell you this. But this new world is not yet fully here. But it is on its way. The resurrection was a sign and a signal of that new world that is now on its way. And someday, the flourishing goodness of King Jesus will flow into every square inch of this universe. And on that day, everything that smells of death will be defeated forever. So when the power of the resurrection finally seeps into every square inch of this universe, according to the Bible, there will be no more pain, no more death, no more loneliness, no more fear, no more hate, no more poverty, no more racism, and no more tears. The hope we declare today on that day will be fully realized, and then some. And the experience of this hope fully realized 
will exceed by far our descriptions of it today and our wildest imaginations of how good it might be. And I hope you believe this today. I hope your hope is rekindled today by the resurrection of the King. Because He is risen, for those who are in Him, for those who belong to Him, all is actually well right now. No matter the circumstances. And one day, all will be fully well. Near the end of his life, the same John who wrote the gospel Cody read from earlier, wrote the very last book in the Bible. He was having a vision God had given to him of the way things were going to be. And he caught a glimpse of what the future held for those who belong to Jesus and are in Christ. And he described this vision in Revelation chapter 21. He wrote, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. So do you know what today is? Today is a day for a big party. Today is a day when corks should be popping in every direction. Today is a day for good food. This is a day to laugh in the face of a virus and toast King Jesus deep into the night because he is alive right now. He's running the universe right now. He's in charge of everything right now. So hope makes sense. All is well right now. So let the party begin and let it never end. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus Christ, this is your day. And your day is not stopped by a virus. The grave couldn't hold you. Death could not retain you. So no virus can stop you. This is your day. This is the day that you showed the whole world that you are in fact the king. 
the king. The king over everything. Not one square inch of this universe is outside your powerful reign. You took on the biggest enemies we have and you crushed them under your heel. The rock covering your grave was as light as a feather. The power of death that has gripped us with fear for so long bowed at your feet. There is no fear in love and we as your children have received love beyond words. And so on this day, we honor you. We exalt you. You are the king above every other king, every other power, every other authority. Everything that sets itself up as great and strong and mighty bows at your feet because you are the king of everything. And we celebrate you on this day. And we do so in your name. Amen.